Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Tampa, Florida with my new friend Josh Ginsberg of SecretTampaBay.com. Josh and his wife moved to Tampa to enjoy the year-round sunshine while discovering fascinating art, history museums, and other hidden gems. That inspired him to write Secret Tampa Bay, a guide to the weird, wonderful, and obscure. In this episode, Josh and I talk about the Gasparilla Pirate Festival, the Salvador Dali Museum, and live mermaid performances. You're about these three fun attractions and so much more. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Tampa. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Don't you just hate waiting in line for security at the airport? Me too. Even the pre-check lines are slammed most of the time today. That's why I use Clear to skip the lines and get to my flight quicker. For my listeners, I've actually worked out a special deal where you can try Clear for free for two months. This is a limited time offer, so go to wetravelthere.com forward slash clear to sign up today. Hey Josh, welcome to the show. Hi Lee, and thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So today we're talking about Tampa Bay, Florida. And, you know, I've heard a lot about it. I've, I've seen it on, on baseball for like spring training and, uh, I'm a big fan of, of going to football games. I've always wanted to visit the city, but I haven't had a chance yet. So I'm counting on you to tell me all the great things to do in the city. Well, there, there are many, many great things to do here. I was surprised having moved here about four years ago from Chicago. I wasn't really expecting there to be as many different sites and activities as there are. Okay, so you've been there, I think, about four years. What are some of the things you love most about being there in Tampa? Uh, well, one is certainly the weather. I mean, there's there's a reason that pretty much just about everybody in the in the eastern and sort of northern quarter of the U.S. chooses to vacation here in Florida. This week, I think we're looking at high temperatures of, uh, you know, 90, 91 pretty much every day. Sunny. You can get outside and do outdoors activities. And again, coming from the north, you know, after about 40 years of pretty harsh winters, I was ready for that change. <laughs> Absolutely. So for people that aren't uh, that familiar with uh, Tampa Bay, are you on the west side of Florida or the, or the east side? So the Atlantic Ocean or the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico? So we are along the Gulf Coast. Uh, so the Gulf of Mexico is kind of our, our ocean here. And um, that means in terms of weather patterns, in terms of other things, it does make us a little unique. And Tampa Bay specifically, one of the things I know people sometimes have concerns about regarding the weather is we do get some hurricanes. But historically, if you're going to be somewhere in Florida during a hurricane, Tampa Bay is is historically a pretty safe place to be. Uh, We don't very often get any sort of direct hits. We might get some strong storms. But usually you're pretty safe here. All right. I'm going to knock on some wood for you just to make sure that you stay safe. So, <laughs> all right. So you've been there for a few years. You've had uh, a lot of interactions with the, with the locals and become a local yourself. If you had to describe Tampa Bay in just a couple of words, how would you do that? Uh, one I think would definitely be beguiling. I mean, it is beautiful. It is just just really stunning visually. But there's a lot below the surface. And uh, people, you know, don't always think of Tampa Bay as 
being sort of a cultural mecca or being sort of a foodie destination. And you may have to dig a little bit deeper than in some other places, but I think you'll be really rewarded with what you find. Well, fantastic. I'm looking forward to hearing all, hearing all about it. So when people are planning their trip to come to Tampa, what part of the year should they come visit? I know obviously Florida is known for great weather, but I think it probably get kind of hot and sticky in the summer. So when should they plan the, their trip? Yeah, I, I mean, again, it all sort of depends on preference. It does get a bit hot and humid and, and uh, sort of swampy in the summer. The winters are fantastic. Uh, a lot of people want to escape sort of those those steel gray, frigid skies and temperatures. Uh, so the winter is a very popular time to come. That also means it might be a bit more crowded. So I usually recommend to people that maybe spring or fall is a really good time to visit. I guess it also uh, depends on uh, what type of festivals or attractions they're looking to come visit. Obviously, if you're looking for spring, ba- spring baseball, uh, spring training, then you're not going to come in the fall, right? So you're gonna you have to come in the spring. Uh, what are some of the other like festivals or attractions that are more like seasonal that they should think about? Sure. Well, well, a personal favorite would have to be the Gasparilla Pirate Festival. I mean, it, it, pretty much any excuse to don a pirate costume and drink rum and sell and and say yar to everybody passing by is <laughs> is absolutely worth doing. So the last weekend of January every year, a group of folks known as Ye Mystic Crew of Gasparilla, they board their pirate ship and they sail into the bay and they seize the key to the city from the mayor. And that kicks off kind of a a week-long, what is essentially sort of a pirate version of Mardi Gras, complete with floats and beads and parades. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. Is that where they came up with like the pirate ship for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Whenever they score a touchdown, they 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 shoot off the cannon. Is that kind of like where that came from? Uh, you know, there there is a history of pirates in the area, so I think uh, they're 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 certainly connected. Gasparilla himself is probably fictional, but uh, there were some some actual Buccaneers uh, that did ply the waters nearby. <laughs> oh man, that's so funny. Okay. Uh, what are some of the other festivals that may happen throughout the year? There are a ton of great festivals out here. Again, another favorite of mine is called uh, Shine St. Pete. So this started maybe five or six years back and St. Pete was having a real problem with graffiti and vandalism and some of the buildings. And so some artists got together and figured, well, you know, if we create really gorgeous, amazing murals, then, you know, other would-be sort of street artists are, are going to stop vandalizing it. And it worked. And as a result, St. Pete has some of the most amazing murals you will see anywhere in the country. And every year, they have this Shine Festival where they invite, you know, muralists from literally all over the world to come and make uh, these incredible artworks. That is so cool. I mean, it's like, obviously, that is a, a problem that kind of plagues most major cities is vandalism and, and things of that nature. And instead of increasing policing on them or making it a, a problem, they actually turn it on, on a, basically 180 degrees and turn it into like, hey, we, we accept you doing this, but just do it in, the, in a proper manner. 
Yeah, it was absolutely a creative solution to a real problem. And it's become, you know, actually a sort of revenue producer. Uh, Florida Craft Arts, for example, offers uh, walking and bike tours. And uh, it's really become kind of a way to support the local creative community. That's fantastic. Okay, so if people are planning to come visit Tampa Bay, how do they get there? Is there... Is there which airport should they fly into? And then once they get to the airport, how do they get into the city? So you've got two big airports here. You've got Tampa International and you've got St. Petersburg Clearwater International. Now, I live just about 15 or 20 minutes away from Tampa International. So that's typically the one I use. Depending where you're flying in, you will very likely have a stopover in Atlanta, which is really kind of the major hub for the region. But as far as flights being on time, flights being accessible, I have literally never had a problem getting in and out of Tampa International. Oh, fantastic. Okay, so once we get to the airport, I guess it all kind of depends on which airport we go into and, and where we're going in the city, but should we rent a car? Is there public transportation? Do we take a shuttle? Like, How do we get around? So I do typically recommend that people rent a car. You've got a lot of bridges, a lot of highways. Um, sorry, my companion Tinkerbell, the Shih Tzu here, apparently <laughs> has some things to say about it. You know, if you're going to get around, uh, it's not a walkable city necessarily in the same way as like New York or Chicago or L.A. Well, even L.A., you probably want a car. You can use Uber and Lyft, and there are uh, in downtown Tampa, there's sort of a trolley system. I typically recommend that people uh, have their own car. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially like, as I was doing some research on Tampa. Tampa isn't specifically like a city, like, say, Nashville. It's actually more of a collection of cities, correct? That's correct. So the Tampa Bay area, I think of as encompassing sort of three core cities. You know, you've got St. Petersburg, and you've got Tampa, and Clearwater. And then even if you go as far south to maybe Sarasota, that really is its own city, but it's also sort of, you know, connected to to the Tampa Bay area. You know, if you're planning a trip to come down there, maybe you add an extra day or two on the front or the back end and be kind of explore the whole region versus just figuring out that one city. Yeah, I would recommend it. And, you know, we're pretty close to Orlando. So I know uh, the Magic Kingdom there is kind of like uh, the closest thing I think we have in our culture to like a pilgrimage site where, you know, if you have kids at some point, you are probably going to be coming to either Disney World or Disneyland. And it's really easy to kind of include a few extra days and and come take a look at the Gulf Coast because there's a lot to do out here. Okay. Well, fantastic. And so while we're looking at where to stay, like obviously we, we've flown into the airport, we we got all these things to do. Uh, where should we stay? Is there maybe a part of town that we should avoid or that we should really kind of focus on as far as uh, booking our hotel? In terms of where to stay, you know, the neighborhoods, uh, really for the most part, I have not, you know, spent a lot of time in, in, uh, rough neighborhoods. You can certainly find them. And even uh, Ybor City, which is really sort of the historic, you know, that's that's where all of the old cigar factories were. And that's actually what gave Tampa the name Cigar City. That area is gentrifying. So wherever you have, you know, that sort of gentrification during the day, it might be fine. You know, late at night on like Friday or Saturday night, it might get a little dicey. So you just really have to be cognizant 
but there are some amazing places to stay. I think of the hotels down here, probably the Don Cesar is probably my favorite, just for the history, for the architecture, for the story. Um, it is sometimes likened to a giant pink uh, sandcastle or a giant pink birthday cake on the beach. <laughs> um, but if if you like sort of 1920s style, if you were Jay Gatsby looking for a place to stay where you would feel completely at home, you're going to want to stay at the Don Cesar. Oh, yeah. I, I can picture it in my mind right now. My daughter's five years old and loves everything princess and pink and everything like that. So I guarantee she'd want me to stay, <laughs> want us to stay there at that castle. Absolutely. And you do have a lot of other historic hotels. Uh, in St. Petersburg, you have the Vinoy Hotel, which has really undergone kind of a rebirth. I believe it's now a Marriott property. And then you have uh, the Floridan in Tampa, where, where I've actually spent a few nights. Uh, all of those are really historic hotels that are beautiful, uh, great service, um, not outrageously priced. Um, so any of those would really give you, I think, kind of a unique experience. That sounds fantastic. Okay, so let's talk about some of the things to do while we're there in Tampa. Like, obviously, for the sports people like me, we know we have the Bucks. Uh, we know we have the, the, the Lightning and the Rays from a football, hockey, and, and baseball standpoint. But so what are some of the other attractions there? Well, if you're a sports fan, you also got to add in uh, the Rowdies, which is a local soccer team. You know, there's there's something for everybody here, which I think is is really uh, great. When when I have visitors in town, you know, there's a lot of fantastic art museums. Of course, in St. Pete, you have the Salvador Dali Museum, which is the largest collection of his work anywhere outside of his hometown of Figueres, uh, Spain. And you have a lot of glass artists. Uh, you have the Chihuly collection there. You have the Imagine Museum. And then you've got a ton of history as well. So the Henry B. Plant Museum uh, is a great place to stop. The Tampa Bay History Center. You've got Ybor City. Again, if you're looking for sort of a, a quirky, funky, unusual place with a lot of unique history, got to check out Ybor City. And then I'd say also there are a lot of classic sort of roadside attractions, and I have kind of a special place in my heart for those. So you have Sunken Garden in St. Pete. You have Solomon's Castle in Ona. You have the Wikiwachi Mermaids to the north and uh, several other similar attractions. So more than enough to keep somebody busy for, for a week or, or months. <laughs> well, absolutely. Well, let's take a step back. You, know, you mentioned like the Sunken Gardens and the castle and the mermaids. Let's talk a little bit about those and like what they are, uh, so that way both me and the listeners can understand what they are. Sure. Um, so let's start with Wikiwachi. There was a, a famous diver uh, named uh, Newton Perry, and he actually did a lot of swimming performances and whatnot. And he actually taught frogmen, I believe that was in World War I, how to uh, essentially breathe underwater using uh, thin reeds. And when he returned, he decided, well, you know, I've got this, this skill that I can teach people. I'm going to teach young women how to breathe underwater and perform as mermaids. And uh, this was... Uh, you know, really a big hit. 
even to this day, I believe they still give like three performances a day, 365 days a year. They've been featured in all sorts of uh, music videos and films and other things. And uh, it is just something that honestly, uh, you really can't see anywhere else, uh, <laughs> you know, in, 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 in the world as far as I know. That sounds pretty amazing. So that's a good one. Absolutely. And then you've got Sunken Garden, which was kind of an accidental roadside attraction. So back in 1903, there's a plumber named George Turner Sr. who wanted to drain sort of the lake or pond in his backyard and turn it into his own private garden. Now today, of course, you would run afoul of all sorts of uh, environmental regulations and other things that would probably make that impossible. But at the time, he just kind of drained it and turned it into uh, his own sort of winding garden. And over time, you know, began producing uh, some fruits and vegetables and people came by and and uh, it became this major attraction that's still uh, still thriving today. Interesting. All right. And then so what about uh, what about the castle? Ah, Solomon's Castle. So not the only sort of man-made castle in Florida. I think a lot of people are familiar with Carl Castle in Miami or Castle Otis out by St. Augustine. But Howard Solomon was an artist who moved to Ona, and he was known for sort of recycled outsider artwork. He would take, you know, what somebody would consider junk and turn it into a sculpture. Well, he decided to take very literally the expression that a man's home is his castle. And uh, he acquired all these metal plates. I think it was from a printing press that was going under from like the local newspaper. And he took all these metal parts and pieces and he actually assembled a castle in the middle of the swamp. <laughs> so yeah. I guess I guess everybody has their hobbies, right? Yeah, I mean it is uh uh and you know and then he figured well why stop there and he built a replica of a Spanish galleon and a lighthouse and all sorts of other things and uh now he he passed on a number of years ago but his family continues to to run tours. There's a restaurant there, sometimes they have some live music. It is absolutely worth visiting. That sounds like a lot of fun. I I know my kids would would thoroughly enjoy that. So, okay, well, I know that there's a couple other things that I want to make sure we, we, we hit. A couple of historical things, like the Zora Neale Hurston house. Yeah, so, I mean, I, as a writer, you know, I'm always interested in, well, what other literary figures lived here? And Zora Neale Hurston, uh, she wrote the book, Their Eyes Were Watching God. She was part of uh, what's considered the Harlem Renaissance. And so her home has been preserved as a national landmark in Fort Pierce, uh, which is not that far from Tampa. So if you're in the area, you like literary history, uh, absolutely worth visiting. And also, a lot of people don't know this, but Jack Kerouac spent his final years living in St. Pete as well. He would often walk down the street to the bar the Flamenco, which is still around today and which has become kind of a, a shrine to the author. And he would uh, visit Haslam's books, which is also still operating today. And he would gather up big bundles of his books and take them from the back of the, the store up to the front so that uh, he could give them a bit more prominence. <laughs> hey, that's smart. Smart marketing for sure. <laughs> What's something called uh, the Bing Rooming House? Uh, so the Bing Rooming House Museum is pretty interesting. Now, it wasn't open the last time I, I, I tried to visit, 
But during the time of segregation and Jim Crow laws, if you were an African-American traveler, well, you know, you were kind of faced with a problem because you couldn't stay in the same hotels as white travelers. So you had to sort of know these rooming houses where you were able to stay. And the Bing Rooming House was one of those. And that has been preserved as sort of a museum about that experience, about that time. So if you want other perspectives on travel, I would say absolutely visit that. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. We only have a couple more minutes, and I, I don't want to miss out on talking about some of the great food that's there in Tampa. What are a couple of your, your top picks so that way we can make sure we, we visit some of them when we're there? Sure. Hey, and uh, like I said before, I know a lot of people probably don't think of Tampa or Tampa Bay as being sort of a foodie destination, but it has really come a long way. And there are some very special restaurants that have been here a very long time. Um, so I'm going to talk about three of them. The first is my personal favorite to take people to anytime somebody comes in from out of town, and that is Ella's Americana Folk Art Museum. It has a really quirky artist sort of an atmosphere the food is great. The drinks are great. There's outdoor seating, which is actually dog friendly. You know, if I had to pick one restaurant in the area that is my favorite, I would say it's that one. Then you have the oldest and largest Spanish restaurant in America, which is Colombia, and that is in Ybor City. And again, if you want a special experience, they have uh, flamenco dance performances, their 1905 salad, and many of the drinks like mojitos are made table side, and you absolutely cannot go wrong with anything on the menu there. It's you know little, it's kind of a a step up in terms of price from Ella's, but definitely you know if you want to celebrate or kind of treat yourself, that's a great place to go. And there are multiple locations. That sounds good. And then lastly, I, I have to mention Burns. Uh, from the outside, doesn't look like anything special, but inside it is uh, really a pretty amazing and unique experience. It's a steakhouse. It was opened in 1956, and the food is good, is very good, but it is the wine and the dessert that makes this really something you can't miss. It actually allegedly has the largest wine selection of any restaurant in the world. It has 100,000 bottles in their cellar right there, and then another 600,000 or so nearby in storage. And they have the Henry Waugh dessert room, which is just uh, truly decadent. Oh, wow. What dessert would you recommend there? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'd say all of them. You <laughs> <laughs> yeah. have to uh, loosen the belt when, you, when you're walking out, right? Yeah. In, in fact, I mean, it's uh, the dessert room is first come, first serve. So some people just skip dinner entirely and just head right there. You know, I would probably be remiss in my uh, duties here if I didn't also mention the Cuban sandwich, which is kind of Tampa's iconic food you know it's sort of official food where would we go for the best the cuban sandwich boy again this is a stiff competition i would probably say if you want the original classic go to la segunda bakery they actually provide all the other restaurants with sort of the the, the official sort of cuban bread although i am also a big fan of bodega all right. Awesome. We're going to we're gonna have to try them out when we come visit. Last question. If we want to go to someplace really good for breakfast, where would we go for breakfast? 
That's a great question. Where would I take you for breakfast? If we if we make it brunch. Hey, brunch is good. We get a little champagne, a little orange juice. We'll be we'll be happy. Yes, absolutely. So if you're looking for a place for brunch and also want to soak up some of the local history, check out the Vinoy because they do combine sort of brunch with, with a tour of the hotel. That's a great choice. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing all these great tips for Tampa. I know I've learned a lot and I'm sure the listeners did as well, but now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal in Tampa, where should they go and what should they eat? I'd say either a La Segunda for a Cuban sandwich or anything on the menu at Ella's. All right, perfect. Okay, so you've been in uh, you've been in Tampa for a few years now, and I'm sure you've had some great stories. What's one of your most memorable? I'd say my most memorable has to do with the Gasparilla Pirate Festival. My wife and I have had a lot of good luck, and we've attended it a lot of different ways. But our first year here, one of my wife's coworkers, her father was one of sort of the pirates that boards the ship and they invited us to the official pirate breakfast where you know you get to see all the all the pirates off and uh you know it's a really kind of a who's who i mean the the uh, mayor uh, buckhorn was there and you get to meet the the official sort of pirate king and queen who are nominated each year and uh, that was really uh, a unique experience so i'm very thankful for that that's really awesome. And it's, hey, it's nice to have uh, friends in high places where you can have access to the mayor. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Okay, so uh, speaking of good times and everything, where would we go for the happiest happy hour in Tampa? So, uh, again, you've got so many different places to choose from. So many, in fact, that they actually sometimes call the region the Gulp Coast because of all the microbreweries and craft breweries. You can't go wrong with Tampa Bay Brew Company. They have some great food. They have some great drinks. But they are they are just one of literally over 100 to choose from. Yeah, I guess I'm at to extend my vacation and stay there a little longer and try them all out, right? <laughs> yeah, just, you know, happy hour responsibly. Absolutely. That's why we get the, the Ubers to take us around. So, okay, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is check out the local pizza. Where's the best place for pepperoni pizza in Tampa? Well, again, a matter of debate, and even between my wife and I, she grew up in Chicago, which means she is a big deep dish fan. For deep dish, she likes Rosati's. Now, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, so I'm more of a thin crust guy. I like New York, New York pizza in Hyde Park Village. Uh, Most people, however, say, if you gotta choose one or the other, Cappy's is the best pizza in town. So I, now I know what my dinner is going to be like for, for three nights when I come visit. <laughs> there you go. Or, or you just do it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner and do it all one day. Yeah, just knock it out. <laughs> so obviously, you write about travel, you write about Tampa, and you travel quite a bit yourself. What's your best travel tip? Um, my best travel tip, I guess, you know, and, and travel is very subjective and personal. But, you know, about four years ago, some things happened that really changed my perspective on travel. And uh, before that, I would go to the the tourist, you know, sort of websites and look at the, the big sort of well-known things to do. More recently, when I travel, you know, I've had sort of this, uh, uh, this change in perspective that when I go somewhere, I really want to see and experience and taste and you know, sort of feel things that I can only do in that one place. So 
I would say get beyond you know the the amusement parks and some of the better known stuff and really try to try to find those things that you can only do in the place you're visiting and it will change your perspective on the place and it may even change your perspective uh, on yourself absolutely yeah I think it's one of those things like sometimes you go to someplace and maybe you spent a lot on your your hotel or your airfare or whatever and you skip doing that one thing like you know we went to Sydney and uh, we almost didn't go on the Sydney Harbor Bridge because it's you know, it's like a hundred dollars a person or something like that, right? Sure. But if we didn't do it, we would be kicking ourselves today because in order for us to do that, we'd have to fly all the way back. Not that I would argue with having to fly to Australia, right? But the expense of flying all the way back and the hotel and everything like that and just the time it takes to get there, just to be able to do that one thing that we miss out on doing, you just you can't do that. You got to focus on those things that you can't do anyplace else. Yeah, that that's my feeling because every every city has its sort of unique character and history and you know also in trying to learn a place it's not always about the things that are sort of happiest that will make you you know feel the best or laugh. I mean sometimes maybe to understand a place you have to go somewhere that that makes you makes you surprised or even a little sad or even you know some of the hidden secret history but all of that uh, combined gives you a picture into the unique aspects of a place. Absolutely. And I think that kind of that perspective is what led you to uh, to write your book. And so for the listeners who don't know who you are, can you tell us a little about uh, who you are, what you do, and, and talk about your book a little bit? And then if somebody had questions about their book uh, or Attempt Bay, what's the best way to reach you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a book coming out through Reedy Press. It is called Secret Tampa Bay, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. And, uh, you know, it documents sort of a lot of the the lesser known uh, history and lesser known points of interest, you know, from from as far north as sort of Wikiwachi all the way down to Sarasota and, of course, Tampa and St. Pete. So there is a website, www dot uh secret tampa bay dot com and uh, i also have a blog called terra incognita americanus which i know it's a bit of a mouthful but it means unknown american lands awesome well you know we're gonna have links to all that in the show notes again josh i really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all your tips for tampa we look forward to seeing you when we travel there well thanks so much lee it was a pleasure and hopefully we'll see you soon Big thanks to Josh for coming onto the show and sharing his tips about Tampa. Show him some love by checking out his book, Secret Tampa Bay, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure, which is available from Reedy Press. Send me a tweet at We Travel There to show your favorite thing about Tampa Bay, Florida. All the links we talked about today can be found at wetravelthere.com forward slash Tampa. I want to say thank you to Clear for being today's affiliate partner. Take advantage of our special limited time offer where you can try Clear for free for two months. Go to wetravelthere.com forward slash Clear to sign up today. Join us next time as we head to Atlanta, Georgia to speak with Jonah McDonald of SecretAtlanta.com. Jonah and I talk about hidden parks, tiny doors, and Atlanta's first peach tree. We hope to join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you subscribe. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations.